This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. But uh, for those of you guys who are new to Remnant Radio, Remnant Radio exists for three things. We want to challenge orthodoxy, uh, anything that's commonly taught in the church. We want to re-examine it, make sure that it's biblical gospel and not the traditions of men. Uh, we want to embrace diversity. We have different pastors and teachers from different churches and denominations on the program so that we can help challenge that orthodoxy. And finally, we want to empower you for practical ministry, because as we believe, uh, anything that we teach theologically uh, will have an application to your life. Uh, to my left, your right, I've got Michael Mitchell. Michael, tell everybody about your weekend, man. I heard you had a, a an especially um, good. Yeah, we had a great one. I'm trying to think of an adjective. Yeah, there. we had a great one. Yeah. First, first we had a community fair in Desoto. So the fire department came out, and we, you know we had uh, the greatest banker of all time, Jim Rokas, okay. came out, helped me get our home loan, and he came out and and uh, helped some other folks. And you know we had all sorts of booths set up from, from the community. Uh, then yesterday we had pastor swap um, because our church is very committed to racial reconciliation. Uh, we uh, it's, it's just a major theme with us. Our sister church, Deliverance Point Church, sent their pastor, Jessica Boyd. She preached in our Sunday morning service, hmm. and then I preached in their 1 o'clock service. Cool. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, it, just, it just reminds me, and it's a reminder to, to all of us, really, that uh, in the process, in the problem of, of racial disharmony, uh, we don't solve that with hot takes on Twitter and hashtags and burning our cities down. Uh, we solve it by looking one another in the eye and doing things like this and dialoguing. We, we can solve DeSoto's problems, yeah, uh, you know, That's good. <laughs> but but not the nation. And if everyone thought locally like that and did something practical in that way, we, we would we'd be a lot better place. Yeah, if you guys are, are watching now, uh, when you're done with the program, go and check out an interview I did with Jonathan Tremaine Thomas. Uh, we did that at the 818 conference. It's really, really cool. We, we talk about racial reconciliation, and he, he's probably one of my favorite, ish, uh, favorite interviews on this subject uh, because he moved his family to Ferguson set up a tent in Ferguson because he had a dream uh, and the riots are breaking out and stuff like that. He's preaching in this tent and then, well, I think he's just having a prayer meeting in the tent. I think that's what's happening. <laughs> and there's rain that pours out over the city and people start flooding into the tent. And then he gives an, a, a gospel presentation and there's hundreds of people give their lives <laughs> to Jesus. And it's been really, really cool story. He moves his family down there, plants a church and just really starts uh, giving people a biblical understanding of the scripture and giving them a biblical worldview. And his, his response to the hostility is teach the Bible, teach mm-hmm. the gospel. And I think that's that's a, a yeah. balanced biblical response. So mm-hmm. good interview. Go watch that. But today we're going to be talking about the church. What is the church? I want to I update people on uh, on that poll that we're doing on the Facebook. It's on my personal page. The Facebook. It's not on uh, Remnant Radio Since per se. Since Jeff's not here today, I yeah. have to be the instigator. That's okay. That's, I'm instigating here. On, That's, yeah. on the Facebook. So we, we did an interv- uh, a question, a poll, on my Facebook that says, Can you be the church if you do not administer these, and I said essential practices, baptism and communion, Teaching the scriptures and administrating church discipline. Uh, the, the masses say 94% no. You can't be a church if you don't do those three things. Um, w- would you? I'd go as far to say you probably wouldn't be the church if you weren't doing one of those three things. Uh, that any one of those things would probably disqualify a church if they chose not to do them. But um, but but hold on a second, Josh. I've got a whole bunch of Facebook memes that seem to suggest that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I mean, what are we going to do with that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, good grief. Can't I have church when I'm at the gas station giving a five spot to the guy that's asking for money? Isn't that, aren't we just having church no. when we are in the car 
You know, listening to Hezekiah Walker I'm on the way to work. So you don't have to lean over so much. <laughs> I feel bad for you. I, I did that on purpose just to see if you had uh, the a little bit of empathy for me there. Yeah, I thought I thought church was unnecessary. Just a little something extra optional that we kind of stapled to the back of our Christian experience. Um, I, I didn't realize that church was necessary. Is that what you're suggesting? I, I am suggesting that it is necessary and essential that the church follow a biblical pattern and a biblical precedence to administer and to organize its role and function in the world. I think that uh, we, we have come into an age where we use prophetic dreams and, and swirly encounters to determine what we specifically are going to do. And I think at times those specific things that we choose to do and build our churches around uh, can often, if not more often than not, uh, produce a counter-biblical church that uh, they'll, they'll say, hey, we're going to go after politics. We're going to go after um, uh, the media. We're going we're gonna to target these specific efforts, and we're going to say our church is for the purpose of reaching that specific issue. And I think that when we do that, we actually have to step away from something else. Mm. I think every yes to something additional is a no to something biblical. Right. Well, this is not a new problem, uh, Josh. This is this is an old, old problem. A problem so old it was actually addressed by Jude in the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, who is most likely the brother of Jesus Christ. And and Jude actually says that, hey, you know, I really wanted to write to you guys about all the stuff we have in common and everything that's going awesome about our common salvation. But instead, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, the faith, that was once for all delivered to the saints. Christianity is a historic faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is not something we create anew each week. And and look who he actually excoriates as the opponents of this view. Uh, people who essentially uh, reject authority, rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, blaspheme the glorious ones. In other words, when we locate spiritual authority within ourselves, we're doing the opposite of approaching the historic faith once delivered to the saints. That's external to us, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, I I hear God's voice because I'm one of his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice. Uh, This is why we have bad ecclesiology or doctrine of the church, and that's why we're going to talk about that today a little bit. And you wouldn't negate that people can hear God's voice. You wouldn't negate that people can have prophetic dreams or prophecies Mm -hmm. that uh, can impact and change the um, direction of someone's life. Absolutely, absolutely. But if it's truly God's voice, it doesn't stop inside of our craniums here. Yeah, (laughs) it's going to be corroborated in the community of faith and in the Word, and so. Uh, this, this, you don't get the final say on this. You're not the final authority. Uh, you and your consciousness and you and your experience uh, are not the final authorities. It is, it is, really the church uh, is where God God designed the church to be the place where people hear that voice corroborated and they learn to listen to God's voice. Uh, real quickly before we get to defining it, I'll I'll tell you that. A few years ago, uh, I was serving, before I was pastor of, of this church, Church on the Hill in DeSoto, I was, I was the associate pastor for five years. And I, I had moved up here to pursue my master's degree in theology, and as we approached the end of that degree, I wondered, what, what's left for me? What do I do next? I was around 40 years old, and um, I didn't know if I needed to pursue doctoral work or just quit and go into pastoring, or what should I do exactly? And I had sort of an inkling in my mind of what I thought I was born for, but I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the doctrine that we covered a few weeks ago, anthropology. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm fallen and broken. Why would I trust myself to truly mm-hmm. even hear from God? You know, yeah. I mean, my ego will get in the way of that. And so I took it to my pastor because, you know, that's the Bible says that God gave me a pastor. He gave to the church pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. They're supposed to be serving the local church for this purpose. Mm-hmm. His job was to help me hear God's will for my life. And when I presented Pastor Jerry Wise with the same question, he said, oh, there's no question in my mind what you're supposed to be doing. And it corroborated it. And yeah. then I asked several other people in the church, 
It was unanimous. It, and then the Word, studying the Word every day. This is how we hear from God. When when we begin and end right here, we're calling ourselves God. I know we've heard, it, we've heard it said before, and I think I heard it more, most recently from you. Um, I want to hear the Bible. Okay, read the Bible. No, I want to hear the Word of God. Read the Bible. Well, I want to hear it out loud. I want to hear it audible. Read the Bible out loud. Um, that's, 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 the, that's the way you hear the, the audible voice of God. But... Uh, but in a in a, in a in a more realistic sense, um, we're what we're what we're trying to say is that we need to identify who the church is, what the church does, so that we can approach the church rightly. Absolutely, and I think that Absolutely. we have we have had. Uh, I had a, a program last Monday with a guy named Mike Reed, great guy. Um, uh, he had some some things that were I viewed almost as radical, but as I looked in the scriptures, I, I couldn't find anything necessarily that contradicted what he said. Um, but I'm still, I'm still thinking through some of the, the doctrines he was presenting. But, but we talked about what does the church do, and, and we kept finding that as we were discussing, as we were dialoguing about the church, uh, one of the things that we kept coming into was um, context. He kept saying, go to your elders, present this. But, well, typically there aren't elders in most of our mainline churches. There's one pastor, and there's a board who sits as a financial uh, 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 501c3. They, they, don't, they don't shepherd the flock. They don't oversee the body of Christ. They, their job is to uh, be the checks man. and balances. Yeah, yeah, they're businessmen, to be checks and balances. So, so we kept bringing up these situations, these hypothetical situations, and he was always responding with what I think was a biblical outline for the church. Yeah. But by and large, more often than not, we don't actually have that outline functioning in our church. So so when, when they well. say they say come and present, you, you have a reason that you want to leave your church. Come and present it before the body before you just bounce and go to the That's next right. church. Yeah. But then when you bounce how and do you go, do that? Yeah, when you bounce and go to the next church, what, what are you doing? You're basically saying, I am I am my own spiritual authority. I am my own shepherd, which is another aspect in the book of Jude that, that's condemned. People who think of themselves as their own shepherds, you mm. know. Uh, you're no, you're not really accountable to this. It's a divorce, and yeah. God hates divorce. And so, yeah, there's, we should definitely be a lot slower. But maybe we should back up and define what we mean. Sure. First. Um, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that 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 was used here was kahal, and kahal is simply a called out people. So God chooses His people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. And then, if you read the second half of the book of Exodus. He tells them, now, you're on your way to the promised land, but here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to stop where you are, and I want you to build a tabernacle. Mm -hmm. I want you to build a place, a physical place in time and space where you will worship me, and I will meet with you. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. It, actually, it's the most it's the, the second half of Exodus is what most people would consider the most boring part of Exodus. I think it's interesting because God tells them, now you make it this tall. Make it this wide. Uh, make it out of this material. Put a bunch of stuff in there that has no practical significance whatsoever, but just really beautiful to look at, like a, a sea of glass. You know, it does nothing. Doesn't symbolize anything. It doesn't, it's pretty. Doesn't, doesn't accomplish anything. It's beautiful to look at. And yeah. God says, do that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I want people who are skilled craftsmen to build it, and I also want artists who are skilled at creating to do this. And I mean, our worship pastor always does that when he's trying to to weed out. I uh, say our, our senior pastor, who was a worship pastor, used to do that when weeding out uh, uh, singers. Uh, it was always well. Are you called, mm -hmm. and, and then are you talented? <laughs> you know, you, you've got to you've got to be a skilled skills. craftsman. Do you yeah. have skills, yeah. you know. Like I have a couple of skills, uh, you know, nunchuck skills, computer hacking uh, computer skills, computer hacking skills, and, and a few of those, but n not many. That's how you got that. married because girls, exactly, girls like guys with skills. Yeah, you do like also, I baked her a delicious cake and caught her a delicious bath. But in any event. <laughs> The called out people were supposed to meet with God in a certain time and place, which indicates that God cares where. Mm -hmm. I want you to remember that because God, what did we cover in the first two weeks of this program? God is immutable. He's not changing. Mm -hmm. And if God never changes, that means he still cares where. Mm -hmm. It's still important to him time and place, a physicality to our worship. Our worship cannot just be this spiritual thing where we're just, oh, I'm thinking Jesus' thoughts in my prayer closet and watching Ed Young on the interweb. That's not, that's not worship. 
Yeah. That's only part of worship, right? Mm -hmm. It must be, there's a physicality to it and a corporateness to it. Leviticus, then, is where God tells his people how. In Exodus, here's where I want you to worship. In Leviticus, here's how I want you to worship. I want you to walk in through this gate. I want you to stop here at this altar. I want you to do this with your left hand. I mean, you know what? It was a ritual. Mm -hmm. It was a liturgy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and God wanted them to do this. When God's people said, okay, this is what God wants. This is what we're going to do. We're all going to show up regularly. We're all going to come not empty-handed, but with offerings. We're going to walk in through this gate and do things the way he prescribed. Mm -hmm. All right? They were a powerful nation. They were successful. God dwelled among them. Eventually, they had a, a promised land, and it wasn't a tabernacle being set up and put down. It was a temple, which God was the architect of as well. Yeah. And everything went swimmingly. Until God's people decided, yeah, you know, really, actually, Jerusalem's pretty long way off, man. I don't know if I really want to take a road trip all the time to Jerusalem to worship God. I mean, he's God, right? Sure, Jeroboam so, sets up. I mean, I can, I can worship him right here, where yeah. I am in the northern kingdom. They, we'll just build a little place right here, and then we'll worship God. You see? If we're still worshiping God, we're just building a place up high. Those are called the high places. Mm-hmm. That's where, the, that's where mankind says, I know what you said, God, but I've got a better idea. It's one of the saddest yeah. texts when the prophet comes and speaks to Jeroboam, and he's like, bro, you missed it by that much. Like, you, you, <laughs> like God would have given you the whole thing. Yeah. Why'd you do this? Yeah, yeah it's, it's depressing. It's, a, yeah, it's mankind saying, I want, my own, I want to do my own thing in my own way. And then it, then it descends from there into idolatry. Yeah. You know, once you start diso once you start compromising and disobeying God, then it's you're really just asserting yourself as God, and eventually that's what they do. And that's know? so. There's so many different dynamics and layers there. So when we talk about uh, the book Strange Fire that I read from John mm. MacArthur, right? Big Mac. Yeah, Johnny Mac. So we're re we're reading we're reading Johnny's book, and uh, uh, it's really uh, one of the the greatest difficulties Pentecostals read it is they think it's a book on the function of the Holy Spirit in the local church, but it's not. It's actually uh, a function of, uh, <laughs> that's so fun, mom's calling. Uh, it's actually a function of uh, uh, ecclesial ecclesiastical work in the church. It's actually, what does the church do and how does the church do it? And the, the term strange fire comes from Nadab and Abihu. That's exactly right. right? They came mm -hmm. in, decided, I'm going to worship God however Book I want, and the fire came out from the altar and consumed them. The same story about the, the calf. They, they said, hey, let's, let's, this is the God that took us out of Israel. They weren't trying to worship a different God. They mm -hmm. were misrepresenting the God that had delivered right. them. So it, it's not about uh, uh, an impure heart. It's about uh, worship God in spirit and truth. That's he provides both spirit and truth. The biggest issue that we have all through Christianity as evangelicals is that we are docetic. We're Gnostic. Yeah. We're all about what we do with our spirit as though what we do with our body is not important. I don't have to actually go to church. I can... I can just, you know, be the church and do what I want, you know, sit home and watch pregame or whatever. In the New Testament, it's it's the same thing. It's we're not using the Hebrew word kahal anymore. We're using the Greek word ekklesia. That means the same thing. It's a called out people, a corporate people, a gathered people. Uh, the early church, uh, they they came regularly to one central spot in geographically. They gave of themselves, they considered everyone else in the group to be more important than they themselves, and they showed up. The early church would not have recognized the American concept of, eh, I don't feel much like going today, you know, I've got company coming in from out of town, or, you know, my job wants me to work, or I've got explosive diarrhea. You know, and uh, and that's and for that reason, <laughs> well, I just that digressed quickly. Yeah, I really just wanted to come on the podcast and use the word explosive diarrhea today one time, if possible. Thank you for that opportunity, Josh. And they wouldn't have recognized these people walked to church like twelve miles one way, and they knew they were going to get killed for going. And it's the only church <laughs> in yeah hundreds, if not thousands, of miles away. And meanwhile, we in American evangelicalism, if the pastor preaches something that doesn't agree with a preconception, that we've, we don't see him as a shepherd sent by God to train us in the faith. We see him as a guy that's supposed to be preaching at me, and if I don't like what he says, I'm going to get up and go to this other church over here. 
where they'll which, preach it louder, faster, better with cadence or with wine instead of grape juice or whatever. There's there's yeah. no shortage of it either. I think there's 65 churches in my city, yeah. and it's a Ridiculous. small city. Ridiculous. And 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 I would as we're going to see as we define it. Most of those may or may not actually be churches. Yeah, so, I think yeah. that would be a, a biblical response, yeah. And so uh, we, we can look, for example, for the first 1,500 years of Christianity. Uh, all of Well, actually, even to this very day, the, what Cyprian had to say early on, that he cannot call God his father if he does not call the church his mother. That is a Christian concept, not necessarily a Roman Catholic one. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there is no salvation apart from the church is a Christian concept in history, not necessarily a Roman Catholic one. This goes this predates what we would call Roman Catholicism today. And so here's here's what it would look like for <clears throat> an Eastern Church or a Roman Catholic Church or any true liturgical church. The the <clears throat> pedo baptism will take place that takes place when you're a baby for a big reason, and that is that that's the initiatory right into the church. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you're coming, you're entering the church at that moment. You don't know anything. You haven't made any decisions. You're not capable of any of this, but you enter, you're at least in the church over the next 12 years of your life. It's up to your shepherds and your caregivers, your parents to catechize you, to teach you the rudiments of the faith, mm-hmm. the cardinal doctrines of the faith. When you're around 12, you become a man or a woman, Yep. Uh, in my case. And and then you, at that point, it's confirmed. That baptism that they did back then, now that you've gone through this and you've learned this stuff that you're supposed to learn between your ears, and you learn how to do the stuff that you're supposed to do with your, your hands and feet, and you know how to worship physically and corporately and spiritually, then you become a grown-up or an adult in the church, and you are confirmed. That's called confirmation, mm-hmm. and that's and that's how it's done. And so the sacraments in the Eastern and Western early churches were all about shepherding Christians from moment to moment in their lives as part of a gathered or called-out people learning to follow Christ, all right? In fact, in our evangelicalism, in our corner of it, Pentecostalism, we don't know much about all of this history, right. and so when we think about confirmation or catechism or any of those things, we automatically assume that it's papistry, Yeah, and you know it must be rejected. And in, and in fact, we actually teach something very similar. When you you just don't enter the church uh, until you have been catechized a right? new beginners class and then you, we don't yeah. use the word catechized yeah. because and again then, it sounds Catholic. yeah and then you and then you get baptized mm-hmm. because it's believers baptism and and then we you know we shepherd you through in discipleship through the faith if you're in church you're going to sunday school you're going to church you're p- taking part you're using your gifts and abilities for the church you are as paul put it to the corinthians part of those who are being saved in history. Yeah. All right? You're being sanctified. You've been justified already. You're being sanctified. So we're actually teaching something. We're teaching the same thing, only different. <laughs> and so it's not that huge a difference. The concept is salvation is still something that takes place in the church. Mm-hmm. And what happens is we evangelicals, we get so focused in, and that instead of instead of the complicated process that I just described, we're so focused in on this little moment of justification mm-hmm. that we we're willing to throw all this other stuff out, including the doctrine of the church, who is described in the New Testament as the bride of Christ. Yeah. And if d- d- does Jesus strike you as the kind of guy whose wife you want to disrespect? No. <laughs> Me neither, not. man. And, and even <laughs> what is Paul? He talks about how how he's a keeper. Like he's just, I'm, I'm, I am jealous for you because it's my job to prep you for that glorious day. I mean, the responsibility on pastors and teachers, and and I feel this weight immensely. I, I feel a a strict and strong responsibility to to rightly present the gospel to the body of Christ because we're trying to prepare them for the day of Christ's return. That's right. There's a heavy burden on that. that that's right. that's that's significant. And and what's interesting, what a lot of Christians don't understand is that we actually have one of the early photographs of Cyprian. Now, he's from the 5th century, but mm-hmm. we actually have discovered uh, fo- photographs of Cyprian, what <laughs> he might have looked like 
in the in the day. A little and, bit higher. And so uh, I think I think it's important that we all get a get a good uh, shot of that in our <laughs> every, minds every you know? time. Uh, because Cyprian not only believed in the church, but the essential goodness of beet farming as well. And so and that's that's all we'll say about that. <laughs> Try to stay serious for five minutes, Josh, if you can. Um, the church is both uh, visible and invisible. Okay, so the church is invisible to the extent that everyone who is justified by Christ's righteousness instead of his own enters the church, Mm -hmm. capital C, the church Catholic, the universal body of Christ, all right? Everybody who trusts Christ does, no matter how they got there, Mm -hmm. all right? If if you're one of our people, we're like, now sit right here, look me in the eye, hold your left hand like this, repeat after me the following incantation, and now you are justified, you know? But there are other ways of trusting Christ for your salvation that may even fit more with what we see in Scripture than repeat an incantation after me (laughs) necessarily you know no matter how you got there if you're trusting christ and no one else for your righteousness you're part of the church catholic the universal church right but that's an invisible church you've got augustine who died in the fifth century right and then you've got uh, dietrich bonhoeffer he's part of the church catholic and he he was one of the last people executed by hitler in 1945 right Those guys are part of the same invisible body of Christ. Yeah. But the only time that they're going to, that the whole body of Christ, the invisible body, will be able to be together, eating together, showing hospitality to one another, obeying all the stuff we see in the New Testament, will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's going to be the first time they're all together at one point. Yeah. Until then... Uh, all of the commands given in the New Testament, like like Paul telling the Thessalonians to show hospitality to one another, how can Dietrich Bonhoeffer show hospitality to Augustine? How can you show hospitality to Dietrich Bonhoeffer? You live in Fort Worth. I live in Maypearl. How do I show hospitality to you? What about our 39,000 plus listeners, wherever they are in the world? They're If they're part of the invisible body of yeah. Christ, how do we show hospitality to them? The answer is... In through the visible church, yep. the body of Christ, because we are still um, sort of trapped, not trapped, but placed in time and space, mm-hmm. right? We, li- we, ha- we live in the present, we have a past, we have a future. Because of that, w- the church is visible as well. We have local congregations, and those local congregations will then have members in them, and they can obey these commands. And then uh, th- that's the way it's supposed to work. If you look, if you look in the New Testament, and, and I'm going to pretend to look in the New Testament for the sake of time, Book of Romans, mm-hmm. written to the church at Rome. Book of First Corinthians, written to the church at Corinth. No, the first church at Corinth. Yeah, not the second church yeah. of Corinth. Yeah, people get that confused same, all the time. Yeah, same church, different letter. Uh, <laughs> I just, the, the first Baptist church, the second yeah, Baptist church. Exactly, it just makes right. sense to yeah. me that. That he wrote uh, to different ones. Thank you, thank you for that. Anyway. That was that was almost helpful. And yeah. um, and the the churches of Galatea, the church, the churches at Ephesus. These are the entire New Testament, except for a, a couple of epistles, is written to churches. Yeah, not to individuals. And so when you're reading in Philippians two, and it says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling," and we evangelicals, we love to look at that and say. That means you can't tell me what I can listen to. I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh I don't know why I have that yeah. accident. That I don't accident either. There, but that's that's the one. And in, and that's indeed, a deeply depraved person. Thank you. That was a depraved accent. Yeah. Well, there so, you go. Yeah. That's what it was. The, the the truth is that that wasn't written to an individual, and therefore you cannot read it as an individual. It was written to a church. That is a second person plural verb. Y'all. Work out y'all's corporate salvation in Philippi. Mm, that huh? changes the dynamic quite a the, bit, work, doesn't it? Work out the destiny of your church together with fear and trembling. Ooh. That's a very different message entirely. That is correct, and it's and, so applicable. Yeah, and we and what we have done is we have in America we have transformed Christianity Ooh. into a specifically autonomous and individualistic idea. So. So I heard this term today, and I'm going to use it because I'm really excited because I, I heard it, right? There's I'm eisegesis. As well. There's eisegesis, mm-hmm. right? That's reading into the text. That's right. There's exegesis like where, you read, where, you <laughs> where you read out of the text. And, and then there's narcissus oh. where you read yourself into the text. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love Narsa, that one. Narsagesis, of course, would be a subset of Isagesis. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited I with like, you. I yeah. liked Narsagesis. Yeah. I was like, that's excited really with clever. You. Yeah, the truth yeah. is that a lot of us have a tendency to believe that we have a high view of Scripture. But if we had a high view of Scripture, we would have a high view of the church. Yeah. Many of our ministry models, in Pentecostalism especially, have been predicated upon parachurch organizations, mm. itinerant ministries, Anything that devalues the local church. I mean, mm. I'm going to step on some toes here, but that, that's essentially what we've done, mm. is we, we have devalued it. We all love to think of ourselves as the Apostle Paul traveling around. Actually, if you read carefully, the Apostle Paul would go up to for a place. Years. He would stay there for a while, planting, yeah. developing leaders, teaching them how to church. And then when he left to do it in the next place, he was writing letters back saying, how's your church? The, the, whole, the guy's entire career was de- dedicated to the local church health. Yeah. And people just don't recognize that. You know, the, in America, again, it's an individualist ethos. We love to, for example, what would the ministry of Joel Osteen be without Joel Osteen? Sure. What, what would the ministry of Stephen Furtick be without Stephen Furtick, Right. You know, it, we we only grant legitimacy or validation to people spiritually to the extent that they're famous, that they have lots of followers on their podcast. That present okay. okay. company excluded. No, it's okay. Uh, you know, we that that's what we do, and yeah. and it's really fascinating because like I had a student in university one time that was in my class learning about ecclesiology, and I still we follow each other on Twitter, and he. I don't have any idea who this guy's pastor is hmm. or if he even goes to church. I don't know where his local church is. I do know that his entire theological repertoire, all that he knows about the doctrines of the faith, comes from Furtick. And the guy oh. tweets a Furtick tweet every 2.8 seconds, you know. And he was a seminary student of yours. I'd say he, was a, he was a Bible college student. I won't say which university. Oh, okay, uh, got it. But, um... But yeah, that, that's the, the problem that we have, is that God intended for us to get our theological growth. <laughs> I think it's growth. funny, though, that you're willing to throw Furtick under the bus, and you're willing to throw Osteen under the bus, but you're not going to mention the, the Bible school that this guy went to. Well, you know, Fur- Furtick <laughs> like, and I'm Osteen... I'm going to name names. Furtick and Osteen, Except I'm for. not necessarily throwing under the bus because they've said something wrong, although they probably have. I'm throwing... I'm, I'm really just pointing out that what God... We've overvalued them as entertainers and undervalued the local church. God intended for you to get your theological, spiritual development in the local church, mm-hmm. not from somebody on TV or somebody traveling through who shouts at just the right cadence. So let me ask you this question, because I think this is going to be a bit of a, uh, a fun a fun one. Uh, is Bible school biblical? Is Bible school biblical? Yeah. That's a fine question, but it, it's probably a question for a different um, doctor. That's okay. You can say bit. yes or no. I, I, <laughs> I can. I'll try to answer this in sixty seconds. Um, I, I'm a theologian. I don't answer anything with yes or no. Oh, it has to be accompanied with an explanation, right? That's that's my like. I think the Scopes trial of 1925 hurt all of our feelings in evangelicalism. All of our little pumpkin feelings got hurt by it. H.L. Mencken's terrible things that he wrote about Christians and, and the Christians, you know, well, the people don't like us in New York City. So we're going to just pull off to ourselves and start our own little subcultures. And after 1925, that's what you see. You see this mass exodus out of culture and into a subculture that we've invented. Now we've got our own grocery stores, our own music labels, our own colleges. Our, we pulled our ministers out of university because we didn't want them reading Gertrude Stein and Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. They don't need all those words. They just need the word. And, uh, and that, that sort of mindset came to be known as... The F word. Fundamentalism. Fundamentalism. <laughs> I was going to say what it. That I is. It's, sure a type of, it. it's a type of separatism from the, the culture <laughs> where in reality. Can we do a show it, on the F word? We surely can. We surely that's going to be the title. Of That'll be the one that blows up right there. Oh my yeah. gosh. And uh, you've got a great title for it already. Yeah, yeah. we do. Fundamentalism. But essentially when we do that, when it's unbiblical. Yeah. Jesus didn't even agree with this approach. He said, go be salt and light in the world. Yeah. Go out there and flavor the world. Not hide from it under this bubble, but that was my 60 seconds. That's good. That That's one. good. We'll take it. I'll yeah, take it. I'll move on. Um, 
That's not to say that that good ministry is not being done in these universities. No, and that's and it's the same yeah, to say we, there's nothing. If we're good training, that's if we're not training, happening at Verdix Church, yeah, if we're, exactly. Well, the, the yeah. point the point that you were making, I just wanted to make sure that we were being fair across the board because if the statement is we have set up um, uh, celebrity Christianity and the validity of your personality driven, yeah, yeah, yeah. personality driven, mm-hmm. and if your movement is only successful based on the fame of the personality, couldn't the antithesis be true about? Universities, you got it. It's more you academic, it. but yeah. is it is it more biblical? Mm-hmm. And I think that you answered that yeah. really well. In your I think 60 I think that we can I think that we can do good, and the Lord is doing good work in all of these places. If we're training the way that I the way that I continue a career in teaching uh, in Christian academia, if we can, if there is such a thing, is I simply believe that I am training a future generation of ministers to look at things more biblically and learn how to engage the world more holistically. Yeah, and, uh, I hope so. so. Yeah. Um, so if we really have a high view of Scripture, we're going to have a high view of the church. Uh, one thing that I think we ought to cover a little bit, and, and maybe the newer Christians will have, your eyes may glaze over with boredom at this, but those who are a little more conversant um, with ecclesiology topics, we have to take a couple of minutes and talk about this, the difference between Israel and the church. Oh, come on. Yeah, we got to do that a little bit because that, that that's a big topic, and it's, a, it's more of a grown-up topic, but we can be grown-ups. Now, jo- Josh is more of a grown-up than I am. My wife tells me that I'm essentially 14. You talked about explosive right. diarrhea yeah. like 20 minutes ago. I did talk about that, and, and I have more to say upon this as well. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yes, I'm essentially, all right, maybe 12. I'm <laughs> okay, probably being go. a little <laughs> too charitable to myself on that. Um, but Continue. Uh, there, there's the classic Romans 11 problem that I'll, I'll call it. The, the Romans 11 problem, what, what it seems to suggest that Israel is no longer God's chosen people. Only the church is God's chosen people now, right? And that there is no future for Israel. But Romans 11 also seems to suggest the direct opposite, that Israel, is, God hasn't changed at all. He doesn't change his mind, and he still sees Israel as his chosen people. Yeah. And he's grafted the church into this chosen concept as well. Yeah. So you can use... Romans 11 to defend either so, position and that's what I that's one of the problems we have in bibliology is we keep trying to use the Bible like it's a tool. Yeah. Give me a couple of verses to show your view on this. Come on man, stop using the Bible like it's a tool, like it's a Chilton's auto manual. Yeah. When you work on your car, you know, or you look up a word in the dictionary. Do you start do you start in the dictionary from the A's and read all the way through Z and say, "Well, this was a riveting narrative that I've just read here in the dictionary." Yeah. No, you go straight to G or F to look up fundamentalism or whatever. You look well, it up and go and we, and because we've learned how to read the Bible like a tool, we don't know how to read and we end up trying to proof text everything and it's just it, it's not even a grown-up conversation well, it's, anymore. It's like people trying to use Greek and Hebrew. It's something that I used to do before I understood how vastly complicated Greek and Hebrew are. Uh, th- someone had said uh, y- the word hand. Very simple. This is a hand. I was mm-hmm. listening to uh, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, <laughs> Those guys? Yeah. They have an iTunes U. I've been listening to uh, their <laughs> podcasts because I can't afford an education, so I might as well go to one online for free. So well, uh, You could hang out with the lunchtime theologians. Yeah, and, there you yeah, go. yeah free, free Bible school. <laughs> so um, uh, he he'd made the statement that uh, you could say... Uh, Man, that's a handy man. That could mean two things. It could mean that he's good with a tool, or it could be a sexual harassment charge. That's right. You could, <laughs> it could be. You could say could you could, Joe Biden esque right yeah, there, could, man. <laughs> if you get the reference, uh, yeah. You could you could say, um, uh, hey, could you give me a hand with this? Or you could say, uh, uh, and even that could mean that could mean an applause hand. Yeah. It could mean a, a helping hand. It could mean the word hand could could literally mean five fingers that come off of your palm, but yeah. it could also mean a, a plurality of different things because of our language mm-hmm. and our context. Yeah, so, I've, I've, I like to tell my students the difference between a bad car and a bad car. We talked about yeah, that a couple episodes ago. Car, yeah. yeah, And it all depends on body language and all that. But there, there appear to be two major positions that dominate Protestant evangelicalism where, where this view is concerned. One position is what I'll call the covenant reformed position. They believe that, you know, there is really no future for ethnic Israel. They blew it. 
when when God said, if you don't do, if you don't trust me fully and behave like that, you're blowing it, and you know the blessing's going somewhere else. Now, would it be fair to say that they don't? Because this is this is the one that I find myself tempted with the most not not for any other reason because everyone on my campus the opposite right yeah. everyone's like israel yeah. um uh so so uh like almost worship it's it's bad sometimes it, yeah yeah uh so so be- because of that i go okay when i read i see ethnic israel is god's chosen people right it, ethnic israel but mm-hmm. amongst israel even those who were always born through the loins of Abraham weren't always Israel, right? right? Those who were deemed righteous by faith. The remnant within Israel has always been Israel. Mm-hmm. And we have been grafted into that group. So has anything really changed? It's not that Again, the geographical yeah. people, the ethnic people are the blessed people of God. It's that those who have always been deemed righteous by faith are still yeah. deemed righteous by faith. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, when it comes to things like this, and I, I, I call the Arminian Calvinist sure. argument part of this as well. Uh, we, I, I, I'm not interested in a debate that pits one side against the other, like the other must be 100% wrong no, sure. and, and demonized. These are two biblically defensible models. The covenant reform view uh, has a has a biblical defense. We have to be charitable to that view. That's not my view, but I must present that view correctly and mm-hmm. honestly. And it is a biblical, biblically defensible view. I think it. I think it, the weakness of that view is that it does not account for God's immutability. If God is truly unchangeable, then God didn't change His mind about Israel when she betrayed Him. In fact, the Book of Hosea says yeah. this explicitly. Oh, I would. And I would so, still agree yeah, with that so, statement because so even that's, a, that's the weakness there. And the other, the other major view here is is called dispensationalism. And probably the most understood word in the 20th century. Yeah. The dispensationalist in fact, essentially just believes that there is a future for ethnic Israel mm-hmm. uh, and that people aren't going to be saved in Israel because they're Israeli. All right. They're going to be saved because they trust Christ. Yeah. But that moment will happen at the second coming when the Lord appears and they look on him whom they have pierced. And then of course, they, then, then they recognize their Messiah and they are saved. And maybe I'm just uneducated on it because as I have tried to study the two of them, uh, there just seems to be so much ambiguity with the presentations that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely yeah. right next to the F word fundamentalism. We'll do yeah. another episode on. I think that, uh, yeah, I think those are the two major views. And I will, I will say by virtue of, um, <clears throat> full disclosure that I would be a little bit more aligned with the second view, the dispensationalist view. I am an ordained assembly of God minister. And so anyone I, who's preacher based I, on some I level. Be, yeah, dispensational. exactly. I, I believe in a pre-tribulational rapturist position and uh, we'll talk about that in our yeah. last episode, but, but that's sort of what we copied and pasted our last four fundamental truths essentially from dispensationalist. Although a lot, not a lot of people know that because the dis, the real dispensationalists originally were cessationists and they really didn't like us at all. Yep. And then we got our feelings hurt by that and decided we didn't like them at all. And so a lot of Pentecostals don't realize how dispensationalist they really are. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't know it. But there, there is that concept there uh, that we have to think about when we co- talk about the church. The church, however, from a definitional standpoint must be that place in which the word is fitly spoken and the sacraments rightly administered. Now, that would also include church discipline. Mm-hmm. If the word's fitly spoken, church discipline is part of it, fits under that rubric. And th- this, is, this is how John Calvin defined the church, and, and I think he's 100% right. Uh, and so most of the you say, s- stick and all. 65 uh, churches in your town... Sure. How many of those are truly preaching the word exegetically, properly, hermeneutically sound fashion from someone who is formally trained like every other preacher for 1900 years yeah. before we came along? You know, uh, <clears throat> How much of that is going on as opposed to he commanded and raised the stormy wind. We're going to talk about the stormy wind today. I want you to look at the stormy wind and begin to decree and declare against the stormy wind today. 
I mean, <clears throat> how much of that is going on as opposed to actually teaching the Word? Yeah. And to what extent are we administering the sacraments rightly, or are we getting ourselves deeply offended by the word sacrament, and when we hear it, our head spins around exorcist style, you know, yeah. like, oh, no, how can you call it that? And so um, I think I think it's not too controversial for me to say the vast majority, not even close, the vast majority of organizations that call themselves churches in this country are not actually churches. And, They're Jesus clubs. And, and this is, again, church discipline. For those of you who are listening, um, when something is out of order biblically, the Bible says that you are to pull the elder, right? Like if there's a pastor that's in a problem, mm-hmm. you pull him, publicly rebuke him so that he can be seen before all and that all might have fear. Like there's a biblical right. precedence to uh, maybe not John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it might not be irrefutable to say like, hey, buddy, come here. I'm going to correct in private and exhort in public. There's a biblical model to say, look, um, this is wrong. And this is un- that you, you, I don't want to throw someone under the bus. You had sat down with someone recently who, who had gone through this. Um, uh, they were a youth pastor in a church and had gotten a young lady pregnant. I think there was a year difference between the two of them. Um, and they weren't married. And the pastor brought him and the young lady on stage, rebuked them publicly in front of all, and said, they've repented, they've turned, he's going to marry her, he's going to take responsibilities for his actions, this is going to happen. And three guests that were in the church joined that day because of the way that he handled sin. Yeah. Like, it's a biblical precedence. We're supposed to do this. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the way that... that um, but can you imagine, um, can you imagine your average small church mm-hmm. that's clinging, they're just trying to count enough butts in the seats to justify their existence... Can you imagine them doing this kind of thing? And uh, I can, uh, yeah. but it, but it feels like a, an act of the imagination in this country. Uh, yeah. But you're right; it's it's very. I mean, and I say now. that not because I I, want, I like I'm really excited and I want to I want to smack somebody on the stage and make them look like a fool because my heart breaks yeah, for that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it's not. Heart, yeah. It's, it's not like, at all. It's just like disciplining your children. Yeah. If you I enjoy that. if you enjoy spanking your kid, you shouldn't be doing it. If it breaks your heart, yeah. If you hate it so much. And it's just a necessary thing. That's the concept behind. Yeah, you're trying to teach your child not to run into traffic or, you know, uh, root for the eagles or anything else that's wicked or yeah. or, or evil <laughs> like that. You know, so I used to tell my kid like, you know, I don't I don't enjoy this. I don't want to do I this. Hate this. Like I, t- yeah. I tell him all the time, like I don't want to spank you. Please don't make yeah. me do this. Like I don't want to spank. And you. because I'm imaginative, I came up with other punishments like you will diagram sentences with all ten patterns in the oh, English grammar. Oh man, yeah, that's so much better. Yeah. Well, how, really? how early can you do yeah. that? You can start any time, and you, they end up doing better on the SAT if you've got him Man. diagramming sentences. Maybe so, I could yeah. learn if I had yeah. him show me. <laughs> I've got a four-year-old. He's probably a little bit more literate <laughs> oh, than I am. Goodness gracious, man. Uh, but on the real, man, yeah. my, my, my English not good. English not good. Uh, no. the, the marks of the church, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what denomination or flavor you are, the marks of the church are four. The church is one. Okay. We may have a bunch of different members of the body, but the body is one. The church is holy. All right? Is she holy because she's made up of awesome people like us who only do holy things? In part. No, she's holy because <laughs> the Spirit makes her holy. That's the sanctification that we talked about the last time, right? Uh, she is Catholic. By that, I mean universal. She's yeah. universal. We share the same faith with our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters uh, across the, the Atlantic Ocean. You know, we, we, we share a faith with them. They, the, the church is Catholic. It is universal in that sense. And the church is apostolic. And by that, we, we mean that the church is predicated upon the writings of the apostles. If our doctrines, if what, when you go to your website, what we believe is not absolutely predicated upon the historic faith once handed to the saints. It's yeah. not apostolic. And so that's what the four marks of the church are in that in that regard. Um, we, we have about 10 minutes left. I want to talk for a minute, if I could, about sacraments. Yeah. All right? So we, in the Assemblies of God, we don't call them sacraments. We only have two of them, and we call them ordinances. All right? But I want you to understand that it would be wrong for me to straw man the Eastern and Roman Catholic churches when it comes to this, sacraments to them are not, it's not magic. The sacrament is something that is designed to shepherd people into the faith and through the faith. Um, I used to be a carpenter, 
years ago. I came up as a framing carpenter, and, and then I was a, um, a remodeling carpenter and a trim carpenter and cabinet maker. And when I'm training someone, to, he's my helper. There's two things you can do with a helper. You can just make him hold the what we call the idiot end of the tape measure all day. Or you can actually teach him how to be a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Teach him, you know, measure to measure measure twice, cut once, you know, and, and measure to the sixteenth of an inch. If you're framing, you can be off an eighth. If you're doing trim, you can only be off a sixteenth. You teach them stuff like this, mm-hmm. you know, and you you pour into them and and you and you do all that. And you're shepherding them through it. It takes you longer to get the job done, but you're shepherding that person. And then you step back a little bit and you let him cut the next one and he screws it all up. Mm-hmm. That's okay, man. That's how he learns. You give him another piece, he gets it right. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, a few months later, you can turn him loose and you're getting twice the work done, right? And that, that's, that's what shepherding is supposed to be about. The sacraments in, in the first 1,500 years of the church are all about shepherding people step by step through it. We Protestants love to talk, especially evangelicals, love to talk about how we ain't Catholic and we don't, we don't have sacraments. We also don't shepherd people into specific moments through their spiritual lives. Yeah. You know? We get you to the altar. It's like a sales pitch, like we're selling a product here. We get a notch on our belt. I mean, we send our, our kids off to mission trips, come back, 362 salvations. Like you had anything to do with saving anybody. Those are not salvations, by the way. Those are 362 justifications, but go back to that episode if you want to talk yeah. more about that. Um, and if anything, it's just a profession. Yeah, we don't even know a, if it's a salvation. Exactly. It's just yeah, a you don't know anything. Yeah. And you had nothing to do with it. So, uh, and, and we get you to the altar, and then after that, it's nothing. It's yeah. nothing. Uh, the most we expect from you after that is more regular attendance and tithing. And that's it. Man. You get in trouble in your marriage, we, we refer you to somebody else. We don't want to get in the middle of that. You end up getting a divorce, we won't be judgmental. You're going to do this. We don't, we don't shepherd people through these moments in life. And I think that's a function of the fact that we don't understand. We don't have a sacramental theology that teaches us, I must physically walk with you in this Christian walk yeah. to teach you how to be a disciple, the disciplines of the faith. I think there's more than that, too. I think that because of the the model of leadership that we have erected in the, the church, in the uh, evangelical world, has typically been a one at the top of the pyramid instead mm. of a, a plurality of elders. That's right. Ooh, and be, that's and because of that, um, uh, there's not it's not feasible. We're gonna, to, it's we're, not feasible to disciple the people. You've got a church of 200 people and one, one man, guy has one to do guy. That, yeah. All these people are going to come to this one guy and ask mm-hmm. theology questions, ask marriage counseling questions, ask yeah. about how they're supposed to discipline their children as a new believer. Uh, you, they're flying off. You're right. how, how do you do that? Yeah, we're actually going to talk a fundamental about problem. Uh, polity in next week's conclusion of our ecclesiology doctrine. Well, I want to talk about how struct- churches are structured and set up. As opposed to the way they were back then, and yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. And when you when you've got more than one guy, yeah, carrying the load, it's more biblical for sure. And, and as you had mentioned, yeah. the carpenter can get more work done. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, this yeah. this goes all the way back to Moses, the first ecclesia, the first called out ones, the first gathering of mm-hmm. God's holy people. Uh, the, I mean, almost Jethro telling him, "Why are you trying to do all this?" Almost man? instantly, yeah. Jethro comes down with the hickest name, but the most wisest wisdom. We really just wanted to use Jethro also. Uh, that's today. also and, uh, something I want. Jethro Never mind. Yeah, but. Regardless, um, right. I think that unshun. it's yeah, unshown. Right. I think it's it's really really important that um, as the body of Christ, we have some form of a biblical model because without a biblical mm-hmm. model, how do you even submit yourself to the structure? So let, let's talk about the two ordinances that we have and the different positions we have that that exist on them. First, water baptism. Yeah. In liturgical Christianity, water baptism is the initiatory rite into the church. Okay. That's that's like a gang initiates people in the gang of blood the in blood out. We initiate you by by baptizing you in some sense, okay? Yeah. And so water baptism doesn't take place in a hotel room with Carson Wentz baptizing the rest of the Eagle Squad. If he was truly righteous, he wouldn't be an Eagle, right? Mm. And uh, and so you baptize into the church. That's part of what the church does, right? And so. Uh, the, then, then we Protestant evangelicals, we're real big into what we call believer's baptism. That your baptism isn't a initiatory rite in, in that sense. It is a public proclamation of faith. 
The truth is that historically, baptism has always been both. Mm-hmm. And and so, for example, at Church on the Hill, we we're we're an Assembly of God church, and so we adhere to believers' baptism. I'm not baptizing babies, right? right? But when we baptize you into the church, into the body of Christ in the local church, we do so as an initiatory rite into the church, that as well as your profession of faith. And my favorite way to do it is when someone. Uh, recites the Apostles' Creed as their public profession of faith. I mean, yeah. it's a, a powerful moment. So do they do this publicly, or do they do that they privately? They do it publicly, no. Yeah, they stand intense. right there at the baptism and recite the Creed. Uh, you hold the microphone. You're going to have a serious and, uh, yeah. administrative problem on your hands when your church grows. Maybe so. Your baptism uh, service is going to be eternal. But you know what? Uh, that's a problem I'll take, bro. I, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad problem. I don't, I'm I don't just understand saying. this word growth that you mentioned, but um, <laughs> hopefully I do begin to uh, understand it in the future. It's the thing that the church yeah. did. Remember yeah. when it's all it's structured right, it properly, that's right. it, it yeah. grows day by day. That's, that's one, right. It's supposed to do It's that. one of the functions yeah. of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a <laughs> terrible advertising situation, uh, but uh, maybe this podcast will change all of that for us. Magically. And, yeah. Um, the other the other sacrament that we do is the Lord's table. Now there are three positions I want to talk about before we before we leave, and maybe I can talk about them in this amount of time that we have left. One position is: look, the, the Lord commanded us to take the table. He commanded it. Right? He said, "You will do this. This is my this is a commandment that I give you." He also said, "As uh, wherever two or more of you are gathered, there I am among you." We also know Jesus isn't physically present because he is physically in heaven. Jesus isn't floating around here while we're in church. All right. In what sense is Jesus present with us in the church? The answer is in the table. Hmm. One view says that when the priest consecrates these, and it's very powerful because these are the signs of fellowship, bread and wine. All right. That's the signs of Jesus's presence among us. When the priest consecrates those, Jesus comes down and is with us here and becomes what what they call the substratum underneath the stratum. Mm -hmm. There's bread and wine here. Here's the bread and wine. But actually, Jesus is mystically present with it. That's actually body and blood underneath. Is that Luther's position? No, that that's transubstantiation. Oh, transubstantiation. Right? So the that's, that's actually called um, a real presence. All right, that's a real. Well, uh, it's, it, they believe that the blood. I'm the, sorry, the, the, not real. Pre- actual presence. Yeah. That's an actual presence position right there. It's to say that the, the grape juice. Yeah. Really is the really blood, becomes the and blood. the bread really is the flesh. Yeah. That now transubstantiation. Now on the uh, the weakness to that position the strength to that position is that it is both physical and spiritual sure the celebration of the table is not just something we're holding in our hearts it is a physical there is a physical theology to this which is something that we need in christianity sure. all right yeah. now the weakness to that position <laughs> is that it tends to yeah it tends to make <laughs> jesus a liar and really weird because jesus did say it is finished Oh yeah, right? and you crucifying so Christ afresh. Yeah, so that, you got a there's yeah, a weakness. There's that. Now on the other extreme, that's one extreme position. The other extreme on the spectrum is what we'll call memorialism. Yeah, and that is where there's nothing physical. It's ju- it's not even bread and wine. It's wafers and grape juice. And when when I was first a Christian, and they were they were like using me on the worship team. I I didn't have a pick one day. I used a communion wafer for like a month. As a pick on a Stratocaster, but anyway, that's joking. I'm not joking, man, because it was the perfect consistency. And um, anyway, that that actually happened. That's a true story. And so, I want proof. Yeah, I don't know where the family is. (laughs) I need witnesses to this garbage. But it is completely spiritual. All right, there's nothing physical about it. Uh, The memorialist position is nothing is happening. This is the way, and and that's why, by the way, memorialists only celebrated every so often. If you do this thing every week, you're going to have people going, what, what, what are we doing here? Why are we going through this motion that essentially has no meaning? Mm. And so it, there's a weakness to that position as well. The position that most Pentecostal theologians are moving towards is a, and I didn't say preachers, I said theologians. Okay. It'll be another 20 years before it makes it to the local church level, <laughs> all right? But, but most theologians in Pentecostalism are moving toward a mediated position called real presence. Hmm. And that is, it is sacramental in a sense, all right? Not, not an actual grace that's being administered necessarily, but, but when the church is gathered and they celebrate the elements, there's no substratum, they're just elements, 
And there's no consecration from a priest, all right? It's just, it's just a prayer you're offering. But the process of being together, koinonia, mm. and taking these elements, the Spirit doesn't bring Jesus to us. He brings us to Jesus in heaven, mm. mystically, all right? There is a mystical presence of Christ present with us there in the real presence of the table. And that is uh, a standard uh, Reformation-era Protestant theologian position. Yeah. It is one that uh, most of us in the Assemblies of God automatically become memorialist when we read our little book to become ordained. Yep. But those of us who then become teachers and theologians and have to study it a lot more, we, we all end up sort of gravitating more toward real presence. And in fact, one of the most powerful books that argues this is from an Assembly of God theologian named Simon Chan who wrote a book called Liturgical Theology uh, in which in which he argues this position and almost all of the Pentecostal theologians I know occupy this position it's, and it's how we celebrate the table at Church on the Hill as well. That's good. And we have an entire episode dedicated to this by Edgar Bazan. I actually looked that up just to make sure I got his name right. But Edgar is a pastor in a Methodist church and we just talked about those three elements for an hour so if y'all want to go more in depth on that there is a video that exists for that. And I can put it in the show notes. If you're watching YouTube, I'll, I'll link it up. And that's, that's really all we wanted to cover today. We're going to finish ecclesiology next week and talk more about how a, tr- a church is structured, what our duties are to the church, how our faithfulness to Christ is actually reflected in our faithfulness to the local church. We'll talk about all of that next week. Uh, this week, we just wanted to define it and talk a little bit about what sacraments are and, and how we are to shepherd one another physically into the faith in that regard. So. Cool. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much for coming on. It's an honor to have you again. pleasure, man. See you next week. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for watching the Remnant Radio. For those of you who are new, uh, Remnant Radio exists. We've talked about it before. Challenge orthodoxy, embrace diversity, empower people for practical ministry. If this video has been a blessing to you, uh, you can support us on our website at theremnantradio.com. Uh, Michael's getting very close, but fortunately my microphone moves. Uh, And then for any of you guys who want to continue watching and continue on in the conversation, we're on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Google Play. We're everywhere. So uh, just follow us in any way that is convenient for you guys. Be blessed, and we'll see you next week. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off these classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.